Well, good morning and welcome uh, to Christ Church and a shout out to those upstairs of the 01 and all those joining us. Uh, however, this is all cobbled together as one from Crossroads and um, Highland Park. So, um, welcome to the fall. Right? I, I think fall has fallen if you missed the memo. It, it, you know, I'll be a futurist here and say it's going to get cold. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, so Walter Cronkite and his uh, producers, taken on aggregate, I've watched all these videos, they get a lot right. Uh, there are some embarrassing misses. I suspect that if they were going to project the future and they had it to do over again, they wouldn't show um, the, the housewife in high heels and a dress uh, using a computer to, to adjust a recipe in the kitchen. Uh, that's a little awkward. Uh, additionally, it's, it's worth noting that though there are some big misses that they had, there was a whole lot more uh, thought that we would be traveling intergalactically and that we'd have flying cars and all of that. For the most part, where they missed, they missed because they underestimated how powerful this was going to become. Almost nobody got this right. Right? There was Dick Tracy with a little uh, wristwatch that he could talk on, uh, but nobody really uh, projected uh, the smartphone and all the things that it could do. And of course, this is not anywhere close to the most powerful computer that we have out there today. I read a couple weeks ago that the latest, greatest, hottest, fastest computer can access, can download and assimilate 850 million pages of data in a matter of seconds. Uh, that's uh, stunning. However, we do not have uh, anything approaching Rosie from the Jetsons, right? We do not have uh, electronic, artificially intelligent maids taking care of everyday things because computers lack common sense. They lack anything approaching practical street smarts what we might call wisdom. I've seen labs like nurseries where they have computers with artificial intelligence that they're trying to teach how, for instance, to fold a towel. And it's like remarkably complicated because there's no sense of what, what a towel is, why you would have a towel, what you would do with the towel. I mean, all of that is missing. And so it, it, it serves as a great opportunity to highlight the difference between intelligence, smarts, high IQ, Ivy League degrees, and wisdom, which in, in an earlier series I defined as godly character in action. There is a difference between knowing a lot of stuff, uh, mastering a lot of material or information, having access to lots of data, and actually living a good life. Being a good person, understanding uh, the kind of decisions that need to be made. So uh, we are, by way, of, uh, by way of quick review, we're in the book of Daniel, and we are looking to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, for some insight about how to navigate life when you suddenly find yourself in a different culture, in a different land, in a more accelerated uh, period. So they were... Uh, right by way of review, they were living likely in the palace, uh, hearing. Uh, there's reasons to believe that they were hearing Jeremiah preach and others when they were in Jerusalem. And then uh, Jerusalem collapses 
in, uh, there in one of the first waves, about 586 B.C., they're taken back to Babylon, right? The Death Star, the evil empire uh, that, is, that is more advanced than they are. And uh, they're enrolled in a palace internship. There's some upsides to this that they enjoy that their friends and family who are slaves do not enjoy. It's great food. It's good education. There's a number of things that they get. But it's a difficult spot they're placed in. Uh, The kings of Babylon and eventually the kings of Persia that that Daniel will serve are pretty uh, erratic, uh, unstable people. And lots of people lose their heads when they're around them. It's difficult. And yet Daniel and his uh, compatriots here successfully navigate life. They thrive. And they become a force for good in that culture. And I think that there are things from them that we can learn. So two weeks ago, I said we need to take notes on how they did this. Last week, we looked at courage. Uh, we looked at how they stand up to the bad guys, how they have uh, the insight to know when to take a stand and when not to. And uh, next week, we're going to look at humility. And then after that, it's obedience. But I'm going to suggest it's an it's a obedience with an exclamation point. There's a tenacity about them. There's a grit. There's a resolve, the, a discipline that is really a little stunning on their part, and then we'll look at some other things down the line. Today, I want us to drill down on this idea of wisdom. And and I would frame it this way. In the book, I suggested that that we are here, right? That culture, society, the West, whatever, we're here. And that there are these forces, sort of uh, long-term glacial glacial energies that are pushing us in a certain direction. And I said, uh, it's likely that in the next 10 to 20 years, we can expect globalization and accelerating technology and changing worldviews and social sexual, uh, changing social sexual and marital dynamics to push us to here. Now, maybe not. Uh, some of the monsters under the bed could crawl out and could change things. I'm not a futurist, but I just said, it looks like we're headed here. I want to frame this a little differently today. I want to suggest that you are here and that most of the data points you get say you would be happier if you were here. And here is generally richer, thinner, more power, a bigger house, nicer car, right? There's a whole bunch of things that, that, that success uh, is, is represented by in the air that we breathe. And so when you watch a TV program or you pick up a magazine when you listen to a podcast and this is true whether it's you know men's health or any of three dozen uh, women's magazines whether it's Inc or Fast Company or Forbes whether you're listening to uh, Tim Ferriss or Tony Robbins or the, the most popular voices out there give us uh, strategies and introduce tools and techniques that allow us to move from here to here and sometimes they give us some inspiration to do it, to keep trying. But, but generally, it's always about, you know, how to get in better shape, how to, how to have more money, how to have more free time, how to communicate better, uh, how to be happier, how to, how to retire with more money. It's, it's all these strategies that will take us here. Daniel 
in particular where we're going to look, the Bible generally challenges a lot of these assumptions. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily engage in this conversation as much as it says, perhaps, right, the way up is down. Perhaps the way up is to serve rather than to be served. Perhaps there are purposes, there are opportunities that, that, that involve things like humility and faith and obedience uh, and friendships that are of greater value and will actually bring a joy that is elusive even if you follow all of these strategies. And so that's where we're at today. We're looking at some of the, some of the things that inform the wisdom that these young men remarkably have, right? Because they're early on, they're 12, 13, 14 years of age, and they make some good decisions. And over the course of uh, I mean, Daniel will live a long life, but they demonstrate this godly character in action. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what that godly character actually looks like, describe it a little bit more uh, rigorously, and then uh, share five things that the Bible suggests we do in order to get that wisdom. And... Um, and so I, I want to read a passage just to sort of set all of this in context. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 is just basic introduction. You know, they get abducted. They get marched uh, to Babylon. They get enrolled in this uh, internship, indoctrination, get their education. There's a, there's a discussion about food. Chapter 2, we get introduced to palace life where we see that Nebuchadnezzar is pretty uh, difficult guy to be around. He, he issues an edict to all of his advisors. They're sometimes called wise men, sometimes astrologers. They're probably it's a very eclectic group of people that he brought in. He's, he's a polytheist, so he's, he's interested in what Daniel and Daniel's God are going to say, but he's interested in all the other pieces of advice he can get. He issues this edict. I had a dream. Tell me what the dream was and interpret it for me. And if you can't, then I'm going to kill you all. And so uh, Daniel will bring a little order and uh, peace into that situation. And then in chapter 3, and Nebuchadnezzar calms down in chapter 2, but then in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is acting pretty erratically again. Uh, I'll read the first six verses. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. So this is about 90 feet tall. Uh, and he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Uh, and by the way, this, this, uh, we believe that this statue was basically, it looked like him, and it's, it's covered in gold. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
Now, if I were to read the whole chapter, one of the things that would begin uh, to strike you is that there is a sort of a haunting, uh, mesmerizing, hypnotic kind of, of cadence to this chapter. Because over and over, he's going to repeat this list of prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and other provincial officials. And then as soon as that list is repeated, then the, the list of instruments, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. So clearly Nebuchadnezzar is trying to create a mood. And he's using music and nationalism to try and create this mood to get people to do what he wants to do. And uh, again, it's, we see this today. Music sets people in a certain mood. You can see it at, uh, in, in patriotism. You see it in athletic events, right? There's, there, is a, there is a sort of a space that you go to uh, where perhaps you're more easily led. And Nebuchadnezzar tries to set this up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel doesn't show up uh, at this point. They, they take a stand and say they're not going to bow down and worship this statue. And Nebuchadnezzar goes ballistic, and he calls him together, and he says, look, here's the furnace. I'm stoking it extra hot. Uh, when the music begins the next time, you had better fall down. And they don't. And uh, it's just a, it's, a, it's a wonderful passage. I think the highlight of the chapter is not when he throws them into the furnace and they survive. And by the way, he throws three of them in there and four of them, um, you know, he sees four in there. We believe this is the first, one of the early pre-incarnate uh, visits of Jesus. And when, uh, when some producers make movies of the Bible, they will use the Jesus actor from the New Testament to be in the furnace because they want to they emphasize that, uh, that point. But I think the highlight of the chapter is not when they survive the furnace, but it's when they, when they give their even-if statement. We are not going to follow you. We're going to trust God to preserve us. Uh, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> we're still going to do the right thing. Right? And there, there's that. There's a level. There's a, there's, a, there's a step. There's an assurance that we can get to a sense of peace and resonance with God where we can say, I'm in even if the worst thing happens. I'm in even if we lose. I'm in even if this prayer doesn't get answered the way I want it to be answered. Because where else would I go? Right? I mean, you are God. And I'm not just in this for my benefit. I am just, I have seen you. I know you. You are God. And so that, um, that wisdom the ability to make that decision is what I want us to think about. How do we cultivate that kind of wisdom as opposed to relying on methods and strategies and inspiration and other things to sort of head in the direction that uh, our culture is suggesting we head? So I want to suggest... Uh, a few things. I want to describe wisdom a little bit more fully. I want, I, I've already said wisdom is godly character in action. Uh, I want you to understand four other things. First of all, God gives us a head start on wisdom if we will take advantage of it. And the head start comes here. In particular, right? 
God's law, the moral law, is, is insight into the way the universe works. Okay, it's not a, it's, the law of God is not the result of bipartisan compromise to get some kind of legislation through the House that the president would sign. Right? It, it comes out of the deep rhythms of the universe. It comes out of the character of God. The one who made everything says, here's the code for the way this works. Now, it's not a code for the way it works necessarily immediately. But this is the code for the way it will work over time. This is the winning hand. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not, perhaps not even 20 years from now. But it's the winning code 10,000 years from now. And it's the winning code forever. And so we are given by God insight into this book. And consequently, if you want wisdom, right, it, it starts here. So we have, to, we have to be students of the book. And, and we've been sending out little teasers for this series, uh, little daily readings. Please understand, if you're not doing anything and you start doing that, great, that's a win. But uh, I think that a bare minimum right, is, is 10 minutes a day of reading the Bible and 10 minutes a day of prayer. Right? I just think that's... I know you go, I don't have time. Well, cut something out. I mean, honestly, in light of forever, cut something out and find 20 minutes because that is one of the first and one of the more transformative things you can do in terms of cultivating your heart and your soul. We have a head start on wisdom, but uh, and this leads to the second point. Knowing is not enough. Okay, wisdom is not about what you know. It's about what you do. We have to do. We have to act. If we don't apply it, then it's, uh, we're just a smart fool. You could memorize the entire book of Proverbs, which is the biblical book on wisdom, but if you don't apply it, you're not wise. Right? You're, just, you're just well read. But there's a difference between being smart, intelligent, high IQ, lots of degrees, and wise. And so we need to read the book. We need to apply it. The third thing to understand is that wisdom is moral. And that's because morality, holiness, godliness works. Now, we tend not to think that way. We tend to think that there's this religious stuff that gets tacked onto everything. That's not ever the way the Bible would look at it. It would look at the call to follow Jesus, the godliness, the, the call to morality as, as a call to a life that actually works. Morals work. God's moral code works. Life that works has an ethical substructure to it, and we need to uh, understand and embrace that. Sin is always, ultimately, self-destructive behavior. If we had perfect knowledge and, and enough internal gumption to actually do everything that we know is right, we would always choose holiness. We would never choose sin. It's a losing hand. It inflates its value. It, 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 
leads to addiction. It pulls us in. It takes more and more. It gives less and less. So, so wisdom is a way to a life that actually works, and it's a way to a life of joy. Now, wisdom is actually more than that. It's more than just morality. Now, one of the reasons, I've already said, the first reason I started reading about the future a couple years ago was that I was just concerned about where the state of Illinois was headed and how that, what that might mean for the churches and how we position ourselves to be who we're called to be. But one of the other reasons that I, I decided I needed to start looking ahead is because I felt like uh, culture and society were outrunning, uh, it's, were outrunning the ethical headlights that we were shining ahead. And I was getting asked ethical questions that I didn't have answers for. And I'm like, wow, I got I to gotta get smart on some of these things, and then I got to get smart on whatever's coming tomorrow, and these things are coming more quickly. And so, so I, I believe that, that if we know the ethical answer to something, then the way forward is at least clear. It may be very hard to do, right? It may, it may be very hard to do the right thing, but at least if, you, if it's an ethical issue, once you know what the right thing is, you know what to do. There are other situations in which I don't think the answer is ethical. I just think, I just think it's, it's wide open, but we still need wisdom to know how to live. And I would submit to you that Daniel and his friends appear to have that. Now, they make this decision in chapter 1 that they're going to accept pagan names, but they're not going to eat pagan food. I would say that if I was asked that question, I would rule exactly the opposite. (laughs) I would say, oh, I'll eat the food, (laughs) but I don't want to take the pagan name. Right Now, you can read into this, why did they make this decision? You can go back and read about the dietary issues in Leviticus and other things and go, was that what was going on? Maybe, maybe, we don't know. But I would submit to you that uh, the decision they made in hindsight was a brilliant one. So three times a day, they're going to get together and sit at a different table. right? And they're going to remind themselves that they're different because God has called them to be different. And they're going to support and encourage one another in that decision to stand strong and to be unique. And that will prove, I think, later on to be a brilliant move in terms of, uh, in terms of guiding them. So not all wisdom is moral and, uh, and ethical. We need wisdom just to know how to live and how to navigate life. And, and I would submit to you, we're going to need more wisdom going forward. Right? What, what positions do we take on certain issues in a culture with which we may share less default assumptions? How do we navigate that? Uh, I think we're going to need a lot of wisdom going forward, and somehow they pull it off. So the question is, how? I would, I would, I would submit to you that it's worth asking yourself talking in your small group, maybe sharing what answer you would give, uh, how people would describe you. Would, would your friends, would your colleagues, would your family ever use the word wise? Would they say friendly? Would they say driven? Would they say greedy? 
Would they say kind? If you just said, you got two or three words to use to describe me, good looking, what what are you going to say about me? Would they ever use the word wise? I think wisdom alongside humility and courage and faith are going to be critical, uh, critical qualities that we need. Are you wise? Which leads to this question. How do we become wise? What do we do to gain wisdom? Well, uh, I would submit that there are uh, five things that that we sort of can take from Daniel or or the Bible more uh, corporately. First of all, we seek God. (laughs) And again, I'll just go back to this book. God reveals himself to us in various ways. The, the natural ways that he reveals himself to us is what we see. We can tell certain things to be true about God, the creator, by looking at creation. Okay? So there is, there is natural revelation, but there is also supernatural revelation. And the, the pinnacle of God's supernatural revelation is Jesus, the word of God incarnate. Right, who is the exact representation of God's being. We read about all this in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is, Jesus is the greatest revelation of God the Father. But, but God also is on record saying that this book is uniquely inspired and given to us. And it, it reveals the heart of God. And so we need, again, if we want to grow wise, we need to read the book that he gave us to understand him, his character, and the rules for how life ultimately works. Secondly, we need uh, to ask for wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom. So in Daniel chapter 2, after Daniel hears that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has issued this edict that all the advisors, of which he is now one, uh, all the advisors are going to be killed unless they can give this, uh, you know, tell the king what he dreamed and then what it meant. Uh, Daniel goes to the king and asks for a little bit more time. And then he goes back to his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, uh, no sleep for us tonight. We must pray. We must seek God's wisdom. We need his help right now to know what to do. And James will say the same thing uh, in his letter. James, the brother of Jesus, will say, if any of you lack wisdoms, wisdom, let him ask, right? Uh, ask God for insight. Ask God for wisdom. And don't ask without faith. A third thing we can do to grow wise is to hang out with wise people. Proverbs 13 will say this, that um, he who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. I see this as a pastor. You may see this in your job. You may see this as a parent. I, I feel like I see this a lot in my job. People don't do better than their friends. Right? People don't do better than their friends. You see this with little kids. Oh, no, we got to keep, you know, Johnny away from so-and-so. He's trouble. Or maybe it's Johnny that's trouble, but you usually think it's the other kid that's trouble. You see that, that if, you're, if, if your kids are hanging out with the wrong crowd, then bad things are going to happen. 
Well, I would submit to you that never stops. Right? We seldom do better than our friends. And today, the epidemic is people don't have friends. And, and the more technology we get and the more money people have, the more they are able to navigate life without help. And it leads to fewer friends. And so it's not, it, it, I know that I get mocked. I know that people, you know, oh yeah, we're always talking about small groups. That's because if you don't have people who know you and love you and love God and are paying close attention to what's going on in your life, you are at risk. <laughs> and, and if you have that, if you cultivate that, and it's, it, it, I think it used to be, it used to happen more because we depended upon each other more. And now I think we have to be more intentional about that. You are at risk without friends and you are at risk without good friends. Friends that are good. Friends that are pulling you up. Friends that are, that are, that are asking you to step up and to do the right thing. And are in your face if you're not. And so uh, how do you grow wise? You hang out with wise people. And then uh, number five, how do you grow wise? You adopt an eternal perspective. And this means not just that we're looking further ahead. I've, I've already said, you know, 47% of people in this country in the ages of 50 and 60 have saved less than $3,000 towards retirement, right? So we're not looking ahead as a culture. But I'm not just interested in getting people to look to retirement. I, want, I think we need to be living today in light of eternity. You make different decisions if you're thinking about forever than if you're thinking about now. Eternity changes everything, and an eternal perspective leads us to be wise. So, <clears throat> where is your focus? How are you doing? Are you wise? Uh, there's more to say. Let me, let me be sure you get the, the big points here. Wisdom is godly character and action. Uh, we're going to need more wisdom in the future than I think is on display at the moment. It's available. Right? It's not a mystery what we need to do to get wisdom. God is not hiding it from us. He has coached us. He has given us insight. It's available, but it's up to you. So your spiritual growth is your responsibility. We at the church try to do everything we can to help you grow. But at the end of the day, this is on you. So in a moment, I'm going to turn this over to the campus pastors, but I, I just want to, I want, I want to encourage you wherever you are. Some of you have come in today. This whole Christian thing is new. You don't, you're not certain you figured it out. You don't know whether you're on the sidelines looking in or you've just taken a couple steps. I want to encourage you to be planning ahead to take Alpha, which we'll be offering here in about a month, which is a, a, a course 20 million people have taken it all over the world, and it's a great introduction to the Christian faith. So if you're new, uh, I think Alpha is a right next step for you. Some of you are actually doing well, right? You're, you're taking ground. You would say, I, I'm on a bit of a, of a trajectory that is leading me to a different place. Great. 
God bless you. Stay the path. Stay the path. Some of you are stalled. At least it feels like you're stalled. And some of you are stalled because you're not doing the right things. And some of you feel like you're stalled because life is so hard and everything you do, you seem to get pushed down and nothing is working and you're, you're trying and it's just like, really, God, another thing? If you're in that, that last category, you're stalled either because you're not doing the things and you would say you know you're not doing the things you need to be doing, or you just say, I haven't really been in a good spot in a long time, and I don't know what God is doing in my life, and I'm not certain if I'm doing this to myself or if I got a Job thing going on or what's happening. I want to say, you know, let us help. Let us pray for you. Let us at least listen. So there's always, always an opportunity for you to um, sign up for a spiritual check-in with one of the ministry staff or people that are part of the soul care team, and just a confidential sit-down for an hour and tell your story and talk about what's going on and have somebody pray for you and have somebody say, you know what, I think right now you ought to try this. You ought to do this. You ought to read this book. You ought to serve here. You ought to do this would be a good next step for you. We go to we go to physicians, we go to therapists, we go to coaches, we go to all kinds of people for all kinds of things. There's advantages to that. You have that opportunity. I want to encourage you to think about that. So I'm going to turn things over to the campus pastors right now. And then I am going to pray for us that we might grow wise. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are here today. Spirit of God, we thank you that you, um, that you come and dwell us and guide us. And yet we want to pray that uh, we often, it feels um, harder than it sounds when it's described. And there are times when we desperately want to know what to do, but we can't figure it out. I want to pray that we would grow wise. I want to pray, Spirit of God, that you would guide and direct us. I want to pray for uh, insight from your word. I want to pray for protection to that end. I want to pray and ask, Lord God, that you would help us make good decisions, wise decisions, that we might uh, live well and be part of uh, seeing other people thrive as well. I pray especially for those that are feeling uh, oppressed, beaten down, can't, can't get a step up, can't catch a break. Father, may they so sense and know your love for them today. May they find comfort uh, in you in knowing that you've got this and that everything is under control. And we pray for wisdom. Give us wisdom in Christ's name. Amen.